You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. Some of you aren't going to be able to relate to this. My wife can't relate to this analogy. Um, but there are many of us who were not, we grew up in classrooms that we had to attend and were not prepared because we didn't do our homework. And we would go to these classrooms uh, at various times in our life. Mine lasted all the way through seminary. And we would show up in these classrooms unprepared for, a various, for lots of different reasons. And um, it would be terrifying because we would worry the whole time that the teacher was going to pull a pop quiz, a verbal pop quiz, and, and she would start calling or he would start calling on us from around the class. And then you would evoke certain measures of stealthness or ninjiness to avoid being called on. And it depended on the teacher because some teachers, if you made eye contact with them, they knew like, oh, Hanley didn't do his homework again. Antley Fowler. And then they'd call on you and it would be embarrassing. But you might hide, I would like hide behind people, put your head down. Or, or sometimes there was like a moderately aggressive hand raise, like, oh yeah, I know the answer to this. I dare you to ask me. Dare you to call on me because I really know what the answer is. And then she would call. And with me, the students in my class, would, they would just kind of know I didn't do my homework. And they would look forward to the answer I would come up with and just kind of fly by the seat of my pants like I'm doing right now when I preach, you know, and just say what comes to my mind, verbally process with the teacher, and hope for the best. This happened in seminary one time. And uh, I don't know why, I, I think I went to a Philadelphia Flyers game. We were in, it was like an intensive course. I'd never been to a hockey game. I went to the hockey game, didn't do the reading, or I did the reading, didn't understand it. Showed up in class, and sure enough, the professor calls on me. And you can't, like, fake it in seminary, in master's, right? You can't fake, like, the answers, because you're learning about stuff that, like, you just don't know anything about. And, but I faked it. So I was like... I remember talking, and I remember looking into the teacher's eyes and, and knowing that they know that I don't know what I'm talking about. And it's the, it is the worst feeling ever to show up unprepared for a class. It's the worst, you know, and, and it's, it's an embarrassment at times, and it's often, you're, it's, it's funny for everyone but you. But, um, but not being prepared is one of the worst things I can feel. I can remember being feel, or that I can remember feeling whenever I was growing up as a kid. And now again, I guarantee you, my wife has never, ever, you've never experienced that, have you? You're always prepared. And she like set the curve. She'd finish, I remember in college, she would finish assignments two weeks early. And I'd be pulling all-nighters. I did that in seminary once too. It's not fun. And that's trying to chuckle over in the sermon preparing. But anyway, being, my point is this, that being prepared for whatever makes a huge difference. Children are in here today. I'm sorry. Just ignore everything I said. Always do your homework. Always be prepared for class. You'll enjoy life and your teacher's much better. Um, But being prepared makes a difference. When we're prepared for class, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? We're like, oh, oh yeah. Dare you to ask me. I know the answers to these questions. I hope you ask them to me. And we're like double hand raise on every question right? And there's always the kid that always is like the double hand raiser or the kid that's like jumping out of his seat. The teacher has to avoid him because they're so obvious and they know everything and they always know everything. And they just kind of, it's just, yeah. And, and they have a hard time making friends because they're just, you know, 
That was never me. That was never me, ever. But, um, but there were times where I would come prepared and remember like, man, I'm prepared for class. I feel so peaceful. I feel a rest. I hope she gives a pop quiz because I'm going to bam snizzle that thing and get 100 because I know everything that I'm supposed to know because I'm prepared because I, I, I spent the time doing what I needed to do to get ready right? It's, it's the difference between, if you know, athletes, professional athletes, like at the end of the game, the really good professional athletes, what do they want? They want the ball whenever they need to score. Whenever a touchdown has to be scored, they're hoping the ball comes to them, right? And if you think, or, 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 or like the, um, the golfer that has to make a 12-foot putt, you know, to win the Masters, I mean, that would be terrifying to me. I couldn't even, I'd be like, <laughs> I mean, I hate when someone's behind me on the first tee and I know I have two shots. I mean, it's terrifying. Or, but it's, it, it's, it's the gymnast that has to get the nearly perfect score to bring their team to victory. They, wa- they want the opportunity to come through in these times of pressure, these times of, because, why would they want that? Because they prepared. They have prepared and they are ready for the challenge at hand. People who are prepared want the opportunity to bring victory to their team. And they're ready because they practiced and they've spent the time that's necessary doing what they need to do so that they'll be ready when the time comes. In 1 Peter, Peter says this. It says that we as believers, we as believers, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. And a better, and a, not a better, different translation in the NIV is this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, parentheses, in Jesus Christ. And so, as a believer of Jesus Christ, what Peter's saying to us here is that we should always be ready. We should always be prepared for one thing. And the one thing that we need to be prepared for it's to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be prepared for. And, and there's, I will tell you this, this is happening to me, there's nothing worse, th- th- worse than being not prepared and someone comes and asks you a question about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you think, oh man, I wish I would have said this or I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. And this isn't to make you feel guilty talk or anything like that. I'm just telling you that when Peter wrote this, he was bringing us to a realization that as a believer and a follower and a servant of Jesus Christ, we all have a responsibility to be prepared to talk about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And now there are lots of ways I could go with this talk. Where are you finding your hope? Are people even asking you about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? Or are they asking you about like your portfolio? Are they asking you about like your new car? Are they asking you about your kid's education? Are they asking you about, and you fill in the blank. What are the people around you asking you about? What are the people around you seeking you out uh, in terms of, and, and, and asking you the questions that they have about where you're finding life? Where you're finding life? But I'm not going to talk about that really today. I want to talk about why it's important that we're prepared. Why it's so important that we're prepared to give an answer to people who ask us about where our hope comes from. And uh, Riverside Liquors 
where we've been hanging out on Thursday nights because we haven't been able to have church. We've been building relationships with people. And with Evan, the bartender, and with our servers, and with randoms that just show up, we've just been building relationships with them the last few weeks. It's been awesome. And um, I met someone last week that Doug Ogburn had uh, met the week before. He didn't even go to our church. He's 20 to 30-something, just saying. You know, I mean, things are happening there, 20 to 30 ministry, right? Right? And so anyway, uh, Doug introduced me to this guy, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I met this guy last week at Riverside Liquors. He's never been to church, to our church before. I'm like, that's amazing. And this guy brought a friend to Riverside Liquors last week who has never been to church at RCC before either. Because this guy that Doug met, James, James is my, my even be in here, James, don't mean to call you out. There he is right there. Hello, ladies. James is a single, young, attractive fella, sitting by test, not by coincidence, probably. But anyway, <laughs> I, shouldn't have called, I shouldn't have drawn attention to you, but now that I have, I will follow through for the rest of the service. You are the object of my sermon besides Jesus. All right, anyway... And this guy, James, I'm listening to him, and he goes, man, y'all's church is really transparent. He was here during testimonies. And uh, he's like, your church is really transparent. He's talking about the church, and we're just having a conversation. We're talking about motorcycles, because he has a license, and he's legally allowed to drive, as opposed to me, that I am not still. And we were talking about that. He was giving me some pointers and tips. And, and, then, and then he introduced me to this friend of his, Stephen, that had not come to our church, and I don't think Stephen's here today. But, but, he, but, but James began to invite and talk about River City Church to Stephen, say, you should come to Riverside Church next week with me. You should invite him to church. So here's this guy that we met at Riverside Liquors two weeks ago that had been to our church one time, inviting someone to come to Riverside Church. It was amazing. But he said to me, hey, this morning I was reading in Mark 4 about the mystery of Jesus Christ and, the, and this parable. And he says, I, I, was, I was confused and I'm not sure what they're meaning, what they're talking about. Because I was talking to him about, like, I don't know what I'm going to preach on. So he said, why don't you preach on this? So that's what I'm preaching on today. <laughs> Appreciate that, James. And so, and so this, is the, this is the scripture that he was talking about. And it's going to lead us into the, it, it answers the question of why we need to be prepared to have an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And this is what the scripture is. This is Mark 4, 10 and 12 in the ESV. And then I'm going to read it in the NASB because it speaks a little differently. It says this, and when he was alone... Those around him uh, with the 12 asked them about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And then in the NASB it says, and he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of and that's really the best word, not secret. Mystery is, the, we get the word mystery from the Greek word here, um, of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they will not or may not perceive, and hearing, they may not hear and understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Okay, this word mystery here, this word mystery here, mysterion, and this is what it means. It's a, in the noun for, form, it means this. A person initiated into sacred mysteries. Some sacred thing hidden or secret, which is naturally 
unknown to human reason and is only known by the revelation of God. Okay? The content of this message, which has been known before, this is another thing, this is another way that it's used, has been known before, has been known before, but which has been revealed to an end group of restricted people. So when Jesus says to the disciples, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom, the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God has been given to you. What he's saying is, is that I have, through the power of the Spirit, revealed something to you that cannot be known if people use their wisdom to find it. And actually, I've hidden it from them. I've hidden it from them so that on their own power and and in their own ability, they will not be able to find these answers to the mysteries of life unless, unless they're told. Unless they're told. Why is it important that we are always prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Because without us telling people, they will never know. They will never know unless we tell them. Why? Because God has revealed it to us for the purpose of using us to tell them about the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom of God. It says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 to 10. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. Do we have this? But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. He's prepared us for these mysteries. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So the Spirit has revealed these truths to us about Jesus Christ, what the prophets had written about. Our eyes have been opened, our hearts have received the secret of the kingdom of God, that life is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. That's the mystery. The mystery, the hunger, the desire that people have is I want life. I want a complete life. I want a full life. I want a life filled with peace. I want a life filled with joy. I want a life that I prosper in. I want a life that is powerful. Okay, that's what we've all been created. All of our hearts, whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or you're not, he has given us a heart that desires to experience life to the full. The world feels the burden of this. They are hungry for this. And they're going around trying to find it in money. They're trying to find it in their career. They're trying to find it in their families. They're trying to find it in their children. They're trying to find it in hobbies or adventuring or whatever. They're, they're hungry for this life. And they can't, they, they come, they'll, they'll achieve it. And then they're like, why am I still empty? They'll find, they'll get a little nibble of it and they'll be like, It satisfied me for a little while, but there's something missing. There's something missing. And there's this hunger that they have, this desire. And guess what it is? It's a mystery. It's a mystery to them. And as hard as they work and as much as they pursue, they will never be able to figure it out on their own. And Paul says, we impart a secret 
and hidden wisdom of God. We impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God that everyone is hungry and wanting to know. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says again in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Think about that. Paul's speaking to the Corinthians church. He says, this is how we want people to see us. They, we want people to see us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it requires of stewards that they be found faithful. So basically, in a nutshell, when we think about our responsibility as a believer, it's to be a faithful steward and servant of God's, and steward of God's mysteries. A faithful servant and steward of what God has entrusted to us. That's our role. That's our purpose. That's what God has called us to. The world, as it tries to understand these mysteries, will, will find it impossible. God has chosen you. He's chosen me. He's chosen us to show them by the way that we live and to tell them about these mysteries. We are stewards of this mystery. These secrets that people can't and won't ever understand or have the answers to have been trusted to us. That as hard as they try and as hungry as they are, they will be left wanting unless we tell them about what these mysteries mean. Paul's saying this is how we're supposed to be known. We have the answers. We know the answers. We need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because without our answer, they will not know. Without our living in a way that demonstrates life is found in Christ, they will continue to seek to find life in other places. They just don't know any better. They don't have any other options. Their heart longs for life to the full. They pursue life to the full in the best way that they know how to find it. Coming up, again, empty. We need to be prepared to have those conversations. We have been given the answers. We need to hope and pray for those around us that they will call on us in the classrooms of life because our hands are raised. We want them to call on us to give them the answers because we know them. We know that life is found in Christ and only in Christ. We see this demonstrated all through scripture, how Jesus engaged people. We see this, remember Philip and the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch's driving on the road. The spirit speaks to Peter and says, go over there. And Peter goes over to the eunuch and the eunuch, and he says, what are you reading? He says, I'm reading Isaiah about the lamb being led to the slaughter. And the eunuch says, What's, who is he talking about himself? Who's he talking about? And it says that Philip opened his mouth. Yes, you have to talk to people about Jesus if you want them to understand the mysteries. If you have the answer, you can't be like, I'm gonna like sign language it to him, right? You have to speak to him. He says that he opened his mouth and began to tell him about Jesus. Philip opened his mouth and began to tell him about Jesus. And then a, a few yards later, they stopped and he was baptized. And when they came out of the water, Philip was taken away by the Spirit. 
to another place. Pretty powerful, pretty amazing. What if that started happening to us? We started telling people about Jesus, bringing them into a relationship with Jesus, and God started powerfully moving us to new places with new people to do it again and again and again. What this means is that as we pursue life for Jesus and through Jesus, we start to live and demonstrate that he is our master, that he is our teacher, that we trust him with all of our life because he has purchased us with his blood. We belong to him. We exist for his glory and are only telling his story. We live to make him known. That's all we're doing. He is the light of the world and we are the lanterns that he lives in. He is the light. We are not the light. He is the light of the world and we are the lanterns that he lives in. Where we go, we bring this light. We bring this light that reveals the truth of these mysteries that people have questions for, that people are hungry for and longing for. It's why it's, it's so important that we are in the world. It's why it's so important that we're hanging out at Riverside Liquors. It's why it's so important that we are intentionally pursuing and engaging the world and our neighborhoods and our family members in a way that we're bringing light to them. Where we go, so goes life. Where we go, so goes answers to the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Where we don't go, there is no light. Where we, where we are not present, there are no answers. It's why we stay engaged. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration of, of how this can work and work. Now, now this is going to bother some people, uh, this example. But it's the one that the Lord, I was, I was praying about, the Lord brought to me. And, I, and, and this, is not about, this is not about, you know, where we should be sending our children to school or shouldn't be sending our children to school. This is going to step on all kinds of toes, okay? So don't be angry. That's the enemy, because I got nothing but love. <laughs> nothing but love for you. Nothing but love for your kids, okay? But it would make a logical sense that if we leave, if we take our kids out of the public school system, we take ourselves out of the public school system. And we take our light out of the public school system. And we take the answers we have to the mysteries of the kingdom of God out of the public school system. We take it out of the opportunities we have with the faculty, the opportunities we have with the teachers, and the opportunities we have with, the fa- with, with other parents, of the children that we'll meet by being in the world. Now the same is true if we take our kids out of private schools, right? If we take our kids out of private schools, then private schools also, in those same environments, those same places, lose the opportunity for us to be light, for our children to be light, for us to have conversations, take our children out of it. It takes us out of it. Now, I'll tell you this. I have had my kids in public school. I've had my kids in private school, and I've homeschooled my children. And we have a responsibility as parents. There's no right way except for the way that we feel like the Lord is calling us to lead and parent our children. But I will tell you this. The bottom line is, if we are not in the school systems, and this for example, if we are not in the school systems, then we are not in the school systems. Our light is not in the school systems. Our hope is not in the school systems. And I could use this across, I could use lots of different examples of where you work, where you play, who and how you vacation, are all examples of this. 
when we remove our children, one of the things that happens with them, though, is we're hiding them from the mysteries of living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. And so not only are we removing ourselves and the conversations we're having with people in the school system, we're communicating something to them about what's most important in life. Paul says, or Peter says, Paul and Peter, Peter and Paul, both say what's most important about who we are is that we are servants and stewards of the mysteries of the kingdom of God to people who don't have the answers, who don't have the light. That's what he says the priority is. So when we remove our children, we take them out of places where they would be light, we are communicating a reality to them of what is most important about them. Now again, I've had my children in all of those scenarios. And so I'm not saying, this isn't about where, I'm just making a logical argument about reality in the kingdom as parents we need to consider. And we are also removing the light that they are and we are when we remove ourselves from the relationships that we would have had with teachers and families and faculty. Mysteries of the gospel discovered, are discovered by the believer when they are obedient to Christ's invitation to trust him with their life, pursuing life where Jesus says we will find it. Okay, And so a part of what I want to teach this morning, a part of what I want you to hear this morning, is that we are to be growing in our understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And so when James was asking me, hey, I don't understand what is Jesus talking about here. As a believer, I would say to us, we need to be growing in our understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you how to do that at the very end of the talk. Okay, so that's one thing that we need to be doing. The way that we grow in our understanding and that God reveals to us more is that we are good stewards of what he's already given us. Whenever we are good stewards of what he has given us, he will give us more. That's a biblical principle, okay? We will reap from the seeds that we have sown where we've sown them. Another biblical principle. And so if we are pursuing Christ, a desire to be obedient with Christ, desiring to be with Christ, to live for Christ, for him to be our master, and to be light in the world, to be known as a servant, answering and stewarding these mysteries that we've been giving, we will grow in the mysteries. We will come to understand more. We will come to know more. We will come to love Jesus more because we are putting ourselves in a position where he has to show up. I'm reading a book right now, uh, autobiography about George Mueller. It's freaking crazy. It's amazing what this rascal did. I mean, he was leader of a church. He started a church, and he was like 23. And, and one of the things he did was this. As he quit taking his salary, because they would like rent pews back in the day, and you would have like a pew. And the way the church made money is like the people who were wealthy could rent a pew, and they would have like have a seat every week in their pew. And so he got rid of that because he felt like it was, it was not good, obviously, because then the haves would have good seats and then the have-nots would be standing on the back walls or whatever. And so he said, but in order to do that, he said, I'm not going to take a salary and I'm just going to trust the Lord. And then he said to his wife, he said, and we're not going to tell anyone. We're just going to pray. And he started living this way, and, it, and, he, and he goes on, and he talks about how he experienced God's provision for him in the smallest most intimate ways because he was seeking to live and to serve and to live out the mysteries of the kingdom of God that he believed were promised to him in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to do that. 
But it's made me ask the question. It's made me ask the question, what am I doing to live in a way that I believe that these mysteries and that life is found in Jesus Christ? You know, in a way that people will ask me at least for the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. If we're looking for life in the wrong places as a Christian, we shouldn't be surprised that we don't find it. Right? If I'm, if the greatest risk that Antley Fowler is living in his life is driving a motorcycle without a license, I shouldn't be surprised that people are asking me about this incredible hope that I have in Jesus Christ. If that's the extent of what people see when I live that way. If we are finding life in the things that the world finds life in, then we shouldn't be surprised if people are asking the question, where's your hope from? How are you dealing with that? That's amazing. And so one of the things we have to ask the question is if people aren't asking us the question where our hope is coming from, if they're not asking us about the mysteries of life in Christ, then we might want to look at where we are living and what we're communicating about where we find life. You know? That's just an unfortunate reality. But I love y'all. I'm with it. I'm with y'all. I got that. I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel ashamed. This is all about Jesus, us moving towards him in a way that gives us life so that people will then ask us about it. Okay? We can't do this. We can't all of a sudden crank this up, pull our bootstraps up, and become this person. These are mysteries that we have to begin to live out of as they're revealed to us. And so I'm going to talk about that in the conclusion of this. There's one mystery above all others. The greatest mystery, when we read about mystery in the New Testament, there's one that Paul speaks about, that the Old Testament prophets preached about and told the nations about. And it was about this one who was coming. And that God was going to sin to redeem and to rescue us. That while yet we were still sinners, Christ sent his one and only son to die for us and to rescue us. While we were still sinners, while we were still his enemy, God the Father sent Jesus Christ, who was in perfect community, perfect love with the Trinity. He sent him for us while we still opposed him, while we were still angry with him, while we still did not understand the mystery. He sent Jesus to us to demonstrate his love for us. Why would he do that? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. It doesn't make sense. It's crazy that a God who had everything but you, gave everything up that he had to gain you. It's a mystery. We can say because he loved us, because that's what the Bible says. But that's crazy. It's crazy that he would do that for us. But that's what he's done. That's what he's done. That's the driving foundation for why we do it for other people. There's one last scripture I want to read. It's uh, Colossians 2, 1 to 3, and it says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together, knit together, in love to reach all the riches 
and love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Holy cow. That's just like, give me some Jesus. Give me some Jesus because all the knowledge, all the mystery, everything is wrapped up in knowing this person of Jesus Christ, living for this person named Jesus Christ, being with, intimately knowing this person of Jesus Christ. And we see, like, how does this work itself out? The first way we see, Paul says, I pray that you'll be in loving community, knit together, that you'll be knit together. How do we experience and grow in the mysteries of Christ? Through being knit together with one another, in community with one another. Out of that community, we then bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in perfect communion with the Father and the Spirit, had everything, perfect love relationship, perfect intimacy, perfect everything. God could have done everything and shown us how he loved us in a number of ways, but how did he choose to do it? He chose to break communion in the loving relationship, break and come towards us in our brokenness, to serve us, and to steward the mysteries of the kingdom of God for our sake, so that they could be known, so that we then could take them from our loving church community into the world and answer the mysteries and the questions that they have about life. It's our job as his children, his servants, to steward this truth, to always be prepared to be ready to give an answer to the world for the hope that we have in Jesus. And it's, it's not hard. I'm going to tell you, it's not hard. Because I know some of you are thinking like, I got no theology degree, or I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, or I don't know how to act. I don't know how to be. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, there's three things, there's three points, Okay. We can only talk about what's, what God's entrusted to us, okay? So if you don't know, like, what's the theodicy in the book of Job, no one's going to be asking you about that. No one's going to ask you about, like, hey, tell, tell, tell me about uh, double inspiration, transformation, sensation, or whatever. You know, they're not, gonna, they're not coming at you like that, all right? They're hungry for life, right? And here's the good news. It says that we are, only, we are stewards, okay? So that means that we only have to, to give out what we've been given. Stewards of something have been given something. They're walking around with it. I got this. I got I to gotta share it. I got some stewarding to do. I, gotta, I don't own this. This doesn't belong to me. It's been entrusted to me. I just have to share what I've been given. Right? So that's what a steward does. So don't be getting mystery envy, you know, with your neighbor. If you see them like they have all the answers and everything, don't be getting mystery envy. All right? You only have to talk about Parts of the mystery that have been revealed to you. That's the only thing that you're responsible for, is what has Jesus revealed to me about himself? What has the Spirit revealed to me about his love for me? We only share what God has shared with you. There's no pressure. Just be willing to share our story, to tell people what Jesus has done with us. I went to Cuba we're getting ready to go this Friday. You can be praying for us. Craig, Mark Custer, and I, we're doing a little scouting trip and trying to set up some future trips for our church to go there and do evangelism and ministry. But the first time I went to Cuba, I did evangelism. I was on an evangelism trip. And I'd been doing Young Life at the time. And basically what they do, they, they, they just tell you you have to share your story. And so I had like my Spanish Bible. I'd been practicing my fluency in Spanish, which is very little. And uh, 
and I, and, and I was just learning, like, all these verses or whatever. And I remember sitting down the first time. Like, you have a, it's you, a translator, and you're just walking house to house, like, in these, like, rural areas. And I remember seeing this seat that I was supposed to sit in, knowing when I sit down, I'm going to have to start talking. And so when I sat down, the translator looked at me, and sure enough, they're like, okay, just tell your story. And I'd never done it like that. I'd never shared the gospel like this, right? And so I just said, well, this is who I am, and this is the hope, you know. And I just shared with them about my relationship with Jesus, right? And at the end, I'm, like, getting ready to leave, and the translator's like, you got to ask them if they want to follow Jesus now. I'm like, okay, you know, do you want to follow Jesus in Spanish or whatever I said? And they're like, yeah. They, like, raise their hands. I want to follow Jesus. I'm like, really? I just, just, I just told you what I knew. I didn't say anything crazy, powerful, like creative. I just said, like, hey, this is what Jesus did in my life. Well, five days and 87 people later is what happened for me just sharing the story of what Jesus had done in my life. One-on-one, usually. 87 sit-downs, sharing, sharing the same, what I feel like is the same boring story of what Jesus has done in Antley's life. 87 people came to follow Jesus just from hearing the story, the truth of the gospel. Was it? No, it was because the mystery of God was in them hungering for the truth hungering and desiring, and I just told them what God had told me, what I'd experienced. That's all we have to do. Number two, in order to know the mystery of Christ, we have to know the mystery of Christ. In order to be able to talk about the mystery of Christ, to have answers for the hope that we have, we have to be finding our hope in Jesus Christ. It goes back to our super pillar, intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with Jesus is what gives you a story to tell. Stop doing life If you stop doing life with Jesus, stop doing life for Jesus, you stop having opportunities to talk about Jesus. Intimacy, spending time with Jesus, becomes the source of everything that you share. It's the most important thing that we're doing. And we're only sharing out of what God is sharing with us. We are being given more so that we share more. If we're not spending time where we're receiving, then we don't have anything to give. That's number two point. Three, these are spiritual mysteries, so they require spiritual warfare. Prayer. Now, this is new for me. Not praying, but like believing that it works, okay? Not like new, new. Like, I, I, I probably shouldn't have said that because I'm a pastor, but... You know, growing up in young life, a lot of emphasis in the church is placed on incarnational ministry, which means flesh on flesh, moving into the community. Jesus moved into the community in John 1 and then engaged people relationally, which is true. We need to do that. But people don't want your answers. They want Jesus, right? And so reaching out to your neighbor, reaching out to family members that are lost, it doesn't begin with you baking brownies. It doesn't begin with you bringing them a meal. It doesn't begin with you having a beer with them. It begins with you praying for them. It begins for you praying that they would begin to hunger and thirst for the mysteries of the kingdom of God. It begins with you praying for your neighborhood, praying for your neighbor by name, praying that God would open doors for them, praying that God would create in them a hunger that will not be satisfied 
St. Augustine, that there would be a restlessness, he said. I pray that there would be a restlessness in you, a restlessness in you that does not find rest until you find Jesus. That's how we engage our neighborhood, our friends, our family. And we can be creative and we need to be nice, but we don't want them to want your brownies. We want them to want Jesus. We want them to want the mysteries of the kingdom of God unpacked and lived out in their life. And so if you're someone who is terrified about speaking to people, you're someone who doesn't know, I, I was convicted on that. I was like, I don't even, I've been living across the street from that dude. I don't even know his name. I don't even know his name. So I started praying for him this week. Lord, I started praying for the dude across the street. I don't know his name. I pray that he would come to know you, that the mysteries of the kingdom of God would become to burn in his heart and that he would ask me one day about Jesus. And then when he does, you're like, boom, walk through that door, that's easy. Let's stand.